Well, hello. Welcome back to Habit Helps, a podcast of Creekside Community Church in San Leandro, California, where we talk about how habits build you and about how you can build better habits. My name is Jeff Bruce. I'm one of the pastors. I'm joined by my fellow pastor, John Bruce. Dad, how is your UCL feeling today? My UCL yeah. is great. Yeah? Yeah. Never yeah. been stronger. No reconstruction or repair <laughs> no. needed? No, no reconstruction or repair. After watching Brock, I feel a little <laughs> empathetic pain. I feel like I might need to go to rehab after that. The UCL of my soul needs yes, repair. The UCL. Well, that's true point. for all of us. That's yeah. true for all of us. And yeah. that's what this podcast is about today. That's right. Not really, but... Um, <laughs> we can make it so. We could. Well, good to be back with you. Today, we're going to continue our series entitled Dirty Deeds. It's based on Romans 8.13, where Paul says this, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Paul says there are deeds in us that must be put to death, or those deeds will put us to death. As the Puritan John Owen said, be killing sin, or it will be killing you. The, the truth for us is that we enter the Christian life with the flesh, with deeply ingrained habits that reside in our bodies, and these must be identified and crucified. And they must be identified and crucified, because until you mortify the bad habits, you can't develop good habits. As Aquinas said, only habit overcomes habit. And so until we kill these habits, these deeds of the flesh, we won't make room for the good habits. So that's why we're talking about this. Paul has a number of vice lists where he lists these dirty deeds, these bad habits. We've talked about pride. We've talked about anger. Today we talk about greed. A very American vice, greed. Uh, <laughs> Dad, let's start with a definition. What is greed according to Scripture? I think, I think the word greed is a desire for more. Mm -hmm. And more than what? More than you got. So I, I think the, the story that Jesus told in Luke 12 about the, the farmer who's had very productive land and uh, the man, and he realized, I don't, my, I've got more produce than I have room to store it. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger barns, and uh, and then I'll I'll say to my soul, take your ease, soul. You have many goods laid up for many years, and uh, then God says, you fool, for tonight your soul is required of you, and who will now own what you have prepared? Hmm. And I think that's a great illustration because Jesus prefaces all that, but beware of every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. So I think that's a pretty good definition of greed. What I like about the story, too, is it, it gets to the lie of greed, which hmm. is that once I have more, I'll have enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and greed is more. Yeah. And the more you feed the more monster, yeah. The, yeah. The, the more you want. Yeah. And I think it, it gets to why greed is a sin. Uh, because greed is essentially unbelief. It's, it's wanting to control your life. If I just get enough of X, I won't have to worry anymore. I'm, I'm in control. I've guaranteed my future, rather than depending on God and his goodness to provide what you need, and so you can be generous and not have to covet or hoard things. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's interesting. The word in the New Testament translated greed or, or covetousness, it has this idea of taking advantage built in. So it's not just a desire for good things. It's a desire that leads you to some illegitimate means to gratify that mm. desire, mm. to exploit, to defraud, to do anything to get more, which really gets at the symptoms of greed and not just the heart of it. But in speaking about the heart of greed, I think my question is this. Two times, both in Colossians 3 and in Ephesians 5, Paul talks about covetousness, and then he qualifies it by saying, that is idolatry, or mm. a covetous person, that is an idolater. So what's that, what's that connection between greed and idolatry? I, I think it's the, the idea that I can control my life, that if I just get enough of this, I will be in control. I won't have to depend on God anymore. And so it, it is really, I mean, as Jesus presents this through Luke 12 and Matthew 6, it, it's always a contrast between trusting God or trusting your stuff. And uh, so it's not just enjoying good things at all, because I think, I think God created things to be enjoyed, but it's thinking I don't have enough. I need more to ensure my future. That's the real issue there. So I think that's why, I think it's a good point you make, that uh, it is an idol. What do you think? Yeah, I would go back to Matthew 6, where God's, where Jesus says, you cannot serve God and mammon. Right. And it's interesting, he doesn't just say money, he says this false god of mammon, or yeah. this demonic power of mammon. And so I think the idea there is greed, and especially when we're talking about the greed for physical stuff, possessions, it's a very powerful proxy for God, to yeah. substitute God, yeah. which is why it's so closely, the two are so closely linked in Scripture, because you think about what God promises us, security and protection, provision, He's going to meet the needs we really have, He's going to give us satisfaction in life, He's going to make our life full, and money promises the exact same things. And so the more I look to money to give me those things, the less I look to God to give me those things, right, right. which is why often there's a correlation between lots of wealth and lack of faith in God. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, That's God's good. chosen the poor yeah. to be rich in faith. Yeah. It, it is a burden to be wealthy in that way because you have this powerful false god always clamoring. Now, the problem with false gods is they're illusions that recede with every step you take toward them. And so... They promise these things, but they never deliver on those things. They don't deliver security, provision, and peace. Uh, and you know that because you can talk to ultra-wealthy people, and they're some of the most insecure, anxious, restless people you'll ever meet. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and yet, they still put their hope in, in their possessions um, exactly. for those things. Exactly. Yeah, it seems like wealthy people often are slaves to more, that it, it's never enough. They cannot be content. Um, and so that shows that there is a deeper hunger there uh, than just the stuff, it's just the thing. But there is, a, there is a need for control. There's a need for, I don't want to be afraid. So I, if I could just get a little more, maybe I won't be afraid. And it becomes an addiction. Yeah. It does, and it ironically ruins your ability to enjoy anything. Yeah, yeah even as you're doing that, because you're looking to wealth to do something it can't do. And it actually confirms what Jesus says in that parable, 
which is even when one has an abundance, life does not consist in your possessions. Yeah. The things that will give you life yeah. are not ultimately rooted in your stuff. That's right. And, and you really see that because if there was this one-to-one correlation between happiness and wealth in that way, uh, then they would be the happiest people in the world. Yeah. And they're often the most miserable. Yeah, yeah. So... No, there, there's an interesting study, and this gets into the dangers of greed, and we could just say the first spiritual danger of greed is obviously idolatry. It's also insatiable, yeah. uh, it, it, that, that once you buy into this idea that that next thing is going to be the thing that satisfies me, whether it's that next big house or car or big promotion or whatever, you're setting yourself up to actually be disappointed by that yeah. that thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're either content or you're not, Yeah. right? And yeah. Uh, there was a, an article that came out years ago in The Atlantic where they profiled the ultra-rich, and the study that Boston College did where they talked about basically everyone in this survey had $25 million or more, something like that. Uh, the average net worth was $78 million for these people, and they were able to answer questions anonymously about wealth. The vast majority of them thought they needed more wealth to be financially secure. <laughs> the vast majority said they need at least a quarter more, 25% more wealth. One of the most fascinating ones, and this really gets to this issue of God versus mammon, there was one heir to a massive fortune who was a believer. And uh, in their response, they said that this person's greatest aspiration was to love the Lord, my family, and my friends. And then he reported that he wouldn't feel financially secure until he had $1 billion in the bank. Yeah, yeah. Which just just shows that this is the slavery of greed. Yeah, yeah. I remember reading about John Rockefeller many years ago, and he he was aware of the, of this danger, and so he promised himself that once he reached a certain level, he would stop at that level, and he never stopped. Yeah, he just kept it's, he kept raising the, the bar to higher and higher, and finally they asked him, "When what what will be enough?" And he said, "Just a little more." Yeah, one more dollar. Yeah. <laughs> And so it's a slavery. It really is a slavery. It, it is, and it, it ruins your ability to enjoy life. Yeah. That's, that's the, the, the slavery of it. And it's closely associated with lust in the Bible as well. And I think that's important. You know, you think of the Ten Commandments, not, not covering your neighbor's stuff and coveting your neighbor's wife. So yeah. there's this idea of just a, a deep base desire that has to be satisfied. And with any lust, the more you gratify it, the more lustful you get. Yeah. And, 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 yeah. and so that's uh, the, the same with greed. It's, it's like an addiction yeah. in that way. Yeah. So that's that's one danger. I mean, what are other dangers that come to mind of of greed? Well, I think just dissatisfaction. Mm-hmm. Um, Ecclesiastes. I should I should have looked ahead of this, but Ecclesiastes says that, that one of the great evils that the preacher has seen is a man who is given power to make wealth, but not to enjoy it. Yeah. And I think that's often the case that people are given power to get this stuff but they aren't given the ability to really enjoy it and be satisfied by it. But it, like you say, it just becomes an insatiable desire. And so you waste so much time and effort on things that can never satisfy you, but in fact are eating you alive. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's a danger. Obviously the ones we've already mentioned, I mean, the greatest danger is just blinding you to your need for God. Yeah. Since money is such a powerful proxy for God, you yeah. you don't look to God for the things that only He can give you. Yeah, and so you never pray in faith that God would protect you, because you have so much money. Exactly, that's your fortress. That's your strong city. You never ask for God's provision because you think you already have provision. Yeah, you never 
you never look to God for satisfaction because you think you can just acquire it yeah. financially. Yeah. And, and, and so often that leads you right out of the faith entirely. And yeah. so that's, yeah. that's the vertical danger. I'd say the horizontal danger is that once you're greedy, uh, you will take advantage of people to get more. Yeah. And that's, that's shown throughout Scripture, the exploitative nature of greed, yeah. that because st- more stuff is your highest value, you're willing to sacrifice people yeah. Uh, for stuff, and you know, we could go on and on about financial schemes and fraud and all of these things, get rich quick schemes, and you know, shortcuts in business that are all fundamentally about greed. Yeah, and and beyond that, just rich people or wealthy people see people differently. They they don't see their need for people, and so if you go into wealthier neighborhoods they're very isolated neighborhoods people have fences and gates and and they don't seem to want to interact with people around them because they are self-sufficient in their side you go to a poorer neighborhood and everybody knows everybody right i mean because they need each other right and and it's a much richer existence because it's a much more social existence yeah so i think one and you can see this throughout history but Mm -hmm. that uh for some reason, it is our sinful human nature that when we get more, we want to use it to isolate ourselves yeah. from troublesome people around us, rather than seeing our need for the, those troublesome people. Yeah, Josh Butler wrote a book about hell, and one of his provocative points is hell is the suburbs. And and the point, <laughs> but the point he was making is that as people grow in affluence, they get more self-protective and more isolated yeah. and actually become relationally impoverished and yeah. think that this is the good life as they're moving further and further away with each other, yeah. which just parallels what C.S. Lewis says in The Great Divorce perfectly, that you know, the further into hell you get, you know, it's not enough to live five miles away from this guy. i got to live 10 miles away. Exactly. And it's just, it's just it, it pushes you into isolation because you're yeah. so fixated on your stuff making you happy, yeah. rather than saying that so much of the joy in life is shared experiences yeah. with other people, that yeah. regardless of whether you have a little or you have a lot. Exactly. So. Exactly. No. Oh, that's good. Other dangers? Well, just from a real practical point of view, I think it distracts you from what's really important. Mm-hmm. And, and so you can spend so much time and effort on getting more, protecting what you have, um, and uh, being worried about it being taken away or losing it, and you miss really not only enjoying life as it is, but devoting your, being fully devoted to the Lord yeah. and just giving Him um, all of your time and attention. Um, and, and so I think that's, that's another one. No, I agree. And so the question is then, how do we develop habits that will um, protect us from greed? How do we kill this and, and, and replace our desire for greed with something better? It's a very relevant question because we're in the Bay Area, <laughs> as we say this, right, which you could argue is the richest region and the richest state and the richest country in the history of the world. So um, there's a lot of wealth here. Yeah. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean there's a one-to-one correlation between wealth and greed, but um, yeah. we shouldn't be naive to say that this is a real temptation and to just realize that by any objective metric, I am vastly more wealthy than most people in the world, yeah. the 98 99% of the people in the world. And, yeah. and yet I still think of the rich guy as the guy up the hill from me. 
Yeah. You know, that that's the really rich guy. But no, relative to the world, I have a very wealthy person. And so I think the question for us is how do we live with the reality that that we do have wealth other people have don't have access to and, and yet seek the kingdom first in light of that? Yeah, I think I think you have to diagnose or identify, first of all, what you want more of. And it, it could be wealth, it could be attention, it could be um Success, it could be pleasure, yeah. um, it could be food, it could be, it could be all kinds of stuff. But to ask, what do I find myself worrying about the most? That that's the first thing I think, because because Jesus really identifies worry and the addiction to wealth, puts them together. That's a great point. You know, and so I just my first thing is, what do I worry about? What do I worry about? What am I? Do I feel like I need more of? Yeah. And, and so that that helps me then to uh, uh, to identify and then diagnose that that thing. Why am I worried? What would happen if I didn't have this stuff? What what am I depending on this attention or this pleasure or or this money for? What am I depending on that for that I should be depending on God for? Um, and to, so I've, I've identified where I, what I'm greedy for, and it's just unbelief. I'm, I, I'm being an idolater. And so how, how am I practically doing that? And then exchange, what do I need to exchange this false idol for? How can I exchange that for, for the Lord? And so in some cases, it's just, it's going cold turkey. You just, you just have to say, I am going to discipline my use of this thing, um, I think one of the best things you can do uh, is become a tither if it's wealth. I mean, first of all, just by saying 10% of every dollar that comes in or 15% or 20% or whatever it is for you, that's a stretch of faith, um, then I'm going to give that to the Lord to conquer covetousness as a tangible way of doing that. And and then as you start to do that, you begin to see all kinds of things open up and you you realize that I'm not in a position of of need, but I'm actually in a blessed position and and God just keeps blessing me. Yeah. The more the freer I am in giving stuff away, the, the more he seems to bless me because it beca- I begin to realize I'm a steward of this stuff. And I'm not the, the owner. I'm not the owner. I'm just a channel to channel it in the direction God wants it to go. And when I stop channeling it and start to hoard it, it kind of dries up all of a sudden. And and these are, I mean, those are just real practical lessons I find, um, in in one way to 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 begin to establish new habits. Yeah, I mean, generosity is the opposite. It's the antidote in terms of. The way to know you're not greedy is to be generous. Yeah, yeah. And if you're not generous, it's a good sign that there's greed. Yeah, yeah. Because you're not willing to obey God's command to be generous. Yeah. And um, and, and not that tithing is, is a New Testament command, but there's a principle there to be generous yeah. and, and to be proportionally, sacrificially generous, all of those things. Yeah. So there's there's got to be some indication of that in my life, that I'm, I'm giving in a way that, oh, I, 
I, I could have used the money for that, but I'm not. I'm going to give it to this instead. Exactly. And, and, and if that's not there, that's the place Yeah. to start. I would say, too, it's important to see wealth as a result and not a goal. Hmm. Um, it, you know, the, what the Bible condemns is the pursuit of wealth a, a, in the sense of at all costs and to defraud others and the fixation, the anxiety. But the reality is we don't want to jump from prosperity gospel to poverty gospel. And, and, and just say, well, I should have nothing. It's like, no, that's not how the Bible works. Work is good. Work is good, and work creates value. That's, that's just what it means to be made in the image of God. And you, need, you should read the beginning chapters of Genesis and Proverbs, if you don't believe me, that, that good, hard work creates value in the world that returns in the form of a wage. Yeah. Uh, but what Proverbs says, in addition to being generous to the poor and all of these things, is build it slowly, yeah. little by little. Um, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. And I think you look at the wise, wealthy person in Proverbs, if, if that's a model for Bay Area people. Yeah. They're just very methodical, slow. They're not trying to take shortcuts, but they just kind of patiently save, give, invest. And that's really trusting God. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you, um, for the sake of our listeners, uh, kind of contrast the prosperity gospel with the poverty gospel with the stewardship gospel. Sure. Yeah, prosperity gospel is wealth is good, wealth is a blessing from God. To have wealth is an evidence of the blessing of God. If I don't have wealth, it's an evidence of the curse of God. (laughs) I get wealth through faith and through believing more in God. And if I have enough belief, and so to him, I will be returned with more blessing and prosperity. Yeah, yeah, right. Now, there are true things in there. The truth is that wealth can be a blessing from God. It's true that creation is good and to be enjoyed and shouldn't be rejected. Yeah. It's good that God wants to meet our physical needs. Where it gets things wrong is saying that life consists in our possessions. Yeah, yeah. And, and that the truly blessed life is a wealthy life. Yeah. That's one lie, because yeah. Paul says that he, was, he learned to be content with much and with little. Exactly. And, and so Christ is enough. And so, so the, one of the problems with the prosperity gospel, is not that it promises too much, it promises too little. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't show the fullness of what we have in Christ and the liberation from possessions, exactly. in a sense, that we have. The other problem, too, is that it creates an um, internal logic between faith and blessing that the Bible never does, where faith is almost a principle God has to abide by. And if I just believe for enough stuff... God has to do it, and it makes God subject to us rather than yeah. us subject to God. Yeah. Um, and like you said, it, it, it assumes that wealth is always good. Yeah. Right. And, and so th- those are—yeah, and, and it doesn't take into account all of the biblical warnings about the dangers of wealth. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and even more specifically, the danger of setting your heart on wealth and fixing your, right. your goal on wealth. And, uh, you know, as Shai Lin said in his rap, False Teachers, tell me who would tell you to pursue as a goal the very thing the Bible says would ruin your soul, right? Yeah. That's, that's, that's the problem with the prosperity gospel, yeah. is that it, it, it's, it puts God and wealth in the same goal. Yes. Rather yes. than seeing wealth as a possible byproduct of hard work or these other things. Yeah. So that's prosperity gospel. Yeah. Poverty gospel would be on the opposite end of the perspective that says, not only is the desire for wealth evil, wealth is always evil. Yeah, yeah. And now it never, <laughs> the irony is it never quantifies, you know, how much is too much. It just says, well, whatever you have right now, you should be uncomfortable with, Yeah. basically. Yeah. 
and that truly spiritual people kind of live on this meager existence all the time. They have no creature comforts. They have they never take a luxury. They never really enjoy life in certain ways because they're so sold out to the Lord. They're just kind of living hand to mouth all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now the irony of a lot of people who ha- who practice the poverty gospel is they're supported by people who don't practice the poverty <laughs> gospel that enable them to live that way, that feeling like they're dependent on the other people. Exactly. But it's actual producers in the world who are creating goods, yeah, uh, yeah. who are funding those. Yeah. But but the other problem is it's in some ways it's a denial of creation and the, yeah. and the goodness of creation. Yeah. It also has no meaningful theology of work that says work actually produces good in the world that God blesses and yeah. that a worker is worthy of his wages. It yeah. just assumes that if you have wealth, something went wrong yeah. spiritually. Yeah. And so it's sort of an anti-creation, anti-work view of the world, and it conflates. It says something true, which is wealth is dangerous, with saying that wealth is necessarily evil. Yeah, yeah. Um, where I think the Bible would present a much more nuanced view. The stewardship view, which is in the middle, is not that wealth is always good or wealth is always bad, but that anything we get is a tool to be multiplied for God's purposes. Exactly. I'm not an owner, I'm a manager. Yeah. And so what I get uh, is entrusted to me based on what God thinks I'm, I, I'm entrustable with. Yeah. And, what I, and so if I'm faithful with a little, he'll give me more. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that might mean more money. Yeah. And if it does mean more money, that just means I need to be more generous, exactly. more kingdom-minded, more kingdom-focused. Yeah. But just the, the reality that simply building wealth is not a sign either that I am the most blessed of God or that I am evil. Yeah. It's just a sign God's entrusting me with more than I need to use for his purposes. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good, that's a good uh, um, explanation of those three. I think those are helpful in dealing with, in dealing with greed. Because you see what what you need to deal with, but you don't um, you don't say that wealth is evil, and you don't say that it's good. It's just a it's just a stewardship. It's something that's been entrusted, and how you handle it is good or evil. Right. Yeah, I, I would say a few other things on being delivered from greed. I think one of the reasons we're greedy is because we compare ourselves with other people. Mm-hmm. And so see how much of your greed is just rooted in comparison that I just want with that. I, I should have that because that other guy does, yeah. you know, who's kind of like me. So that should be my standard of living yeah. too, like yeah. that. So a lot of it's rooted in comparison. I would say another thing that I find very helpful is enjoy what you already have. Yeah. So, so, so just look at what you already own. Look at the house you own. How can I make this the most enjoyable place to live rather than coveting another house? Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, how can I maintain my own stuff? Well, how can I, you know, how can I use what God has already given me and enjoy yeah. it? Because if I don't learn to enjoy it, I won't enjoy what I have when I get more. Right. And that's right. the Ecclesiastes 5 principle. Yeah. Um, the other thing I would say is learn to enjoy things with other people mm. is a great way, because so much life doesn't consist in our possessions, but there is a lot of life in our relationships with other people. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so if I'm going to do something really enjoyable, learn to see it as a chance to enhance a shared experience Kind of like what you're saying, because if wealth creates self-sufficiency, that's a problem. Yeah. If wealth can be used to create interdependence, it's beautiful. Yeah. So if yeah. you've got money, throw big parties yeah. and have a bunch of people over and use your wealth to bless other people, yeah. right? To, you know, um, exactly. if, you, if you've got money to go on a vacation, bring someone with you on vacation. So you learn to enjoy. So you see, wow, it's the, the shared experience of the good thing. That's good. Is life giving, yeah. not just me putting my hopes in this experience being just amazing for me. Yeah. So those are a few things that have been helpful. That's to good. Me. What would you say the difference between simple enjoyment of the blessing of God and greed are? I don't think greedy people are happy people. So yeah. I, I generally, so I, I mean, when I look at greedy people, they're always looking to the next thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. They're always evaluating everything. Yeah. And anyone can fall prey to that. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think that's probably the biggest thing is a content person is present to the moment and just pointing out things that are enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, you know, when, when Cashel and I were about to go on our vacation to Hawaii, I was talking with this, this coach and we were, he wanted to meet with both of us and we're talking about it and, uh, talking about the uh, things we want to talk about on the trip and areas of growth. And he goes, here's, here's what I would challenge you to do. You're not allowed to evaluate anything on the trip. Mm. You're not allowed to say, was it a good meal or not? Or, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> was swimming with this animal good or not? <laughs> or, you know, whatever, or, you know, how do we like the weather? He said, just point out things that are enjoyable mm. about what are happening and see how it changes your experience. Mm. And I thought, you know, that's a great that is. challenge. That is. Um, yeah. And, and cause that is contentment. Yeah. Not greed. Right. Greed is never focused on what you're currently experiencing and enjoying. It's always on the next thing. Yeah, and so, that's very helpful. So, so people who are continually negative or critical, um, that could be a sign of greed. Yeah. Because you just assume there's some better experience I should be having right yes, now rather than exactly. seeing all the good that you yeah. have right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really giving thanks and all for everything yeah. is, is really a key to contentment. I just think of, I think it's First Timothy 4 where Paul talks about um, everything created by God is good mm -hmm. and meant to be enjoyed by right. those who know the truth. Right. So it's, it, God is not up in heaven saying, having any fun, cut it out. But, but he's created us to enjoy the yeah. things of creation. Right. Yeah, and I would say a way to practice, you know, if we're going to extend greed beyond just money or physical stuff— you you just have to learn to enjoy in moderation. That's the that's the yeah. the key is that you you there's a place in your life for feasting. There's a place in your life for fasting from things. Yeah, yeah. And that's how you know you're not greedy for that thing. Yeah, exactly. You know, and so I think actually those are two principles to for greed too. Is just learn to fast from things. Yeah. Right. Uh, just because it it helps you to kill the desire for more. Yeah. And realize you're okay. Yeah. And so like, you know, you know, for me a simple thing and I, I this is a we'll probably talk more about gluttony and drunkenness in a little bit but i like to drink wine but for me it's saying i don't ever want to see wine as something i go to because i'm anxious yeah or because i um you know it was a hard day so i'm going to drink wine i don't i don't want those kind of thoughts to creep into my head yeah, yeah. and so for me it's saying i like to enjoy a drink I'm just going to enjoy it on Friday or Saturday night and try to keep to that as much as I can and in moderation just to say there's a place for it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I fast for it the rest of the time yeah. just to say it's in its proper place. Yeah, yeah. No, and, uh, and I sleep way better. And there's a lot yeah. of good physiological effects <laughs> of that too. But, but you can do that with a lot of areas of your life where you're saying, yeah. no, 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 it's okay to enjoy it. I'm just going to choose how I'm enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. Rather than, and, and put a parameter around that. Yeah. And I think that's a very good sign if you can do that, that it has the right place in your life. Yeah. And yeah. not too big a place. Yeah, yeah, and it's a it's a means. It's it if it if it is a means for me to enjoy God, right? By enjoying His creation, right? If it's a means for me to enjoy something apart from God, then it's a problem, right? Yeah, and we can do that with food. We can do that with all sorts of things. Are you doing it for the thing itself, or is there a deeper need in you? Yeah. Right? Do you do you eat because you're hungry and you want to eat good food, or do you eat because you're sad, lonely, depressed, all exactly. these things? And that that's where the greed impulse yeah. starts coming out. Same with you know, do you want a bigger house just so you can feel better about yourself to know I've made it in life yeah. and I'm, I'm I'm kind of where I should be in the social pecking order? It's like, well, that's a that that's a that's a need that that bigger house is never going to meet. Yeah, yeah. So, and I think not to go too deep into this, but you can be greedy 
for really good things. Hmm. But it's the greed that will kill them. So I can be greedy yeah. to know the Bible better yeah. because I, people will want to hear what I have to say more. And uh, that's a horrible. Rather than to serve God and glorify God and to be used by him however he wants to use me, and I want to know the Bible because I want to know God. Right. So I'm substituting something other than what God intended uh, for that thing and become greedy for that Yeah, as an end in itself. Yeah. Yeah, there's this there's this balance, and and sin makes it attention, but it it shouldn't be attention. Is that God gives created goods to draw us back to Him? Yeah, right. So I experience a created good, food, relationships, yeah. vacation, these things that should incline my heart toward God. Yeah, um, you know, asceticism says only God is good as creation is not. Yeah, yeah. And so I need to enjoy God apart from creation. Uh, which yeah, yeah. that's really what the reformers took the church to task for yeah, is yeah. to say this is a very anti-creation view that that work is good, family is good, all these things are good. They're they're means to God, not away from God. Right. And that work and the creation of wealth are good, which yeah. is another which is how we got a prosperous society yeah. was, was through that view. Yeah. Right. But then on the opposite side, it's making the creation the God itself. Yeah. And instead of yeah. leading you to enjoy the creator, it just leads you to enjoy the creation yeah. as an end in itself, which makes the creation utterly not enjoyable. Right. Just an idol. It's just an idol. Yeah. And so that's that's sort of the framework. We can fall off the edge either way as yeah. Christians. Yeah. So. And I think that's a good, a good thing to say, uh, to, to point out, because it's easy to have a very simplistic view of greed um, rather than realize it touches everything. Um, but it gets to, to our relationship with God. Yeah. What helps my relationship with God? What distracts me from God? Those are the things I need to uh, be aware of. And, and that might be a great litmus test for our listeners, and we can close here, is am I greedy in this area? Is my enjoyment of this created thing, do I feel like it tends toward deeper communion with God, deeper fellowship with his people? Does it make me a better person? Yeah. <laughs> Does it make me more like Jesus? If it has those byproducts in my life, there's a really good sense I'm enjoying this rightly. Yeah. If it isolates me from other people, if it if it makes me anxious or depressed or any of these things, then there's a sign it's actually I'm putting my hope in that. Yeah. That's thing. good. That's good. So um good. Well, thanks, Dad. Thank you, Jeff. I'm good I'm job. I'm coveting some lunch right now, <laughs> but I think it's because I'm actually hungry. <laughs> And I just want to create it good and, and not uh, because I have an over-desire for this thing. So I don't think I'm going to fast. I just want to make sure we're okay on that anyway. Cool. Well, thanks. And thank you, listeners. We'll talk to you again soon.